This is an ABC podcast. Hi, Yumi Steins here, host of Ladies, We Need to Talk. In this episode, we're talking about the orgasm gap. It's that idea that men not only orgasm more often than women, but that they get there faster too. I know, it's completely unfair. But that's why we talk about things like the orgasm gap on this podcast, because after awareness comes change. Get it? Comes change. What you're about to hear is a live event we recorded earlier this year at the Sydney Opera House. And just so you know, there are lots of swear words in this, so I hope you're not easily offended. And obviously there are a lot of sexual references too. So if you've got kids around, shield their cute little ears. Thank you so much for coming along. It is so great to be here. Did everybody come because they wanted to come or were they dragged along? Do you know what we're talking about today? Has anyone got a clue of what the topic is? (laughs) So you're a fan of the podcast. That's good. You know that we do like to talk about stuff that makes you squirm. So here's a question. What's going on in your bedroom Can I please take a guess? There's some really great sex. And there's some okay, pretty good sex. And there's some mundane sex. Does that sound right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so picture this, because I know not everyone is in this situation, but picture this. You're in a heterosexual relationship and you've just had sex. He came and you didn't. It happens once in a while, right? Ask your friends. Do they come as often as their partners? And if not, why not? If orgasms are cake, why does the man always get the bigger piece? It doesn't seem fair to me. I love cake. For some women, their share of the orgasm cake is tiny. For some women, they've never even tasted the cake. Ladies, we need to talk about the orgasm gap. Let me introduce our guests. Okay, first up, one of the heroes of our Ladies We Need to Talk podcast is Dr. Melissa Kang, a.k.a. Dolly Doctor! There was a huge outpouring of love for this woman. Besides being the brains behind one of the country's most loved and respected advice columns, she's also a GP and a sexual health researcher. Welcome. Excuse me. Hi, everybody. Uh, Tanya Coons is a sexologist who specialises in pleasure. She's a fierce fighter for everyone's right to enjoy sex. We welcome her. And at the end, Nakia Louie, who is a writer, actor um, and Gamilla Road, Torres Strait Islander woman with a swag of theatre and TV projects on the go, including black comedy on ABC TV and Black is the New White at Sydney Theatre. She came up with this idea of a talking vagina and brought it to life in the hilarious TV comedy Kiki and Kitty, which means she could certainly imagine what Kitty would have to say about the orgasm gap. So let's kick it off with Dr. (laughs) Melissa. Um, What is the orgasm gap? Well, the orgasm gap refers to the the difference in frequency reported by men and women when they have sex with each other. That's what it mainly refers to, and it's become a really popular expression because of the pay gap. So we've been talking a lot about the gender pay gap, Mm. and we're now starting to talk a lot about the orgasm gap. 
There's a lot of research backing this up. Can you explain some of it? Sure. So we have a huge national Australian study which involved over 20,000 Australian adult men and women. And we found from that study, which was reported in about 2014, that over 90% of heterosexual men had an orgasm the last time they had sex, and only about 65% of heterosexual women reported having an orgasm the last time they had sex. So that's a huge, huge gap. And it's been replicated in other studies as well. So an even larger study in the US of over 50,000 people found a similar gap. In fact, it was a bit bigger than uh, 26%. It was about 30% of sure. difference. Tanya, Tanya, one of the things that I love about you is you're on the front lines of talking to couples and stuff yep. about topics like this. This is not part of our imagination, is it? No, no. Um, I've seen studies about hookup sex where 55% of men say that they've had an orgasm and a measly 4% of women in hookups, which I'm totally dismayed at, totally. So hookup sex would refer to Tinder dates? That yeah, stuff? one-nighters, one-night stands, yep. that sort of stuff, hooking up. The, the chances of females having an orgasm increases the longer they're in relationship. Nakia, you're the youngest panel member. Would you say that this reflects your experience and your friends' experiences? Uh, yeah, I definitely do think that there is a huge difference in of, of how often we orgasm in sex. Mm. I think for myself, this idea of when, you know, sex started to become, like, really good was when I kind of learnt that I could have entitlement and autonomy over my body. Um, and I think there's a really big correlation in this developing as a person and this idea of, um, of so often as a young woman, you don't feel like your body is your own. Mm. So sex isn't necessarily always about an orgasm. It's about some type... I know for me, mm. it was about um, some type of acceptance and reassurance that you were okay, you were attractive and you were wanted mm. um, because I didn't feel that as a woman in our society. So I definitely think now getting older and having good sex, it is still this kind of thing of now I'm able to ask to have pleasure, which is always hard because you're naked in someone with bed. Like, sex is kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's also, I think, kind of men need to learn how to... This is, I'm talking from a very cis, hetero perspective here, mm. but, you know, men need to learn how to give women pleasure. I don't think that's something we also focus on. Tanya, I've got a question for you. You spend time talking to real people about their sex lives. Yep. Is there a real gap? I'm having these real-life conversations between what men think is happening and what's really going on. Yeah. <laughs> In a word. It definitely is. I think um, I read some research, but also from speaking to lots of men, about 30% of men think that all women will orgasm from intercourse, and this is not the case. In fact, only about 28... It depends which research you're reading. 28 to 30% of women will orgasm that way. And I think it's a revolving... It depends on the genital configuration and what you're doing and things like that. So they're assuming that it's all about the P and V sex. And for us, you know, we don't know that our bodies take a long time to warm up and we have erectile tissue on the inside, lots of things. So um, for us, it's all about warming up. It's about experiences. It's about genital stimulation. It's about oral sex. It's about kissing. And these things can get left off when people are in a hurry. So when I speak to lots of couples, quite often it's in a big hurry to get to... I'm always like, why are you in a hurry to get to dessert? What about entree and what about main meal? So are men surprised when they find out this stuff like in, uh, in your room? Yes. Um, I have so many men saying, but all of my previous girlfriends came that way and I'm like, <clears throat> not, not really. <laughs> 
some of them might have been acting. There is no space for women to be able to articulate their sexual identity or their sexual practice. There's, there's, you know, that thing, if you can see it, you can be it. So there's that there. You're not seen as a sexual being. And I just know from myself, you know, I was, um, uh, you know, a, a chubby Aboriginal girl from the Western suburbs. And for me, you know, especially in my early 20s, in a moment where I was trying to find myself, sex wasn't about even being able to orgasm. It was just being able to be included in a narrative where someone would fuck me. So, excuse my language. So it, it, it just creates a very unhealthy attitude that takes a really long time to unpick, I think. Yeah, Melissa, do you agree? Yeah, on look, I, I was, I think, thinking about the tw over 20 years that I was answering Dolly Doctor questions, and, and a very substantial, about a third of the questions were always about something to do with sex. Um, most of the Dolly readers um, were not yet sexually active. Mm. They're quite young adolescent girls, but they're very interested in sex. And where there were questions about sex or future sex, hypothetical sex, a lot of it was around how to present themselves to their male partners. It was about whether their bodies and their genitals looked all right, whether they were attractive. And then when it came to forming sex, if they were a little bit older and perhaps engaged in their first, you know, romantic relationship with a boy, it was about how to make him feel good, how to give him pleasure, how to perform for him. So I think they're learning that from that kind of Hollywood image TV dramas that present heterosexual sex very much as performance, that the orgasm the woman has is a performance. Mm. And can, I, can we all just take a moment and picture a world where teenage boys are writing impassioned letters <laughs> asking how to make their partners feel pleasure? Like, would we be having this forum right now? It's just mind-blowing. Let's talk nuts and bolts of sex and orgasms. There's this idea that it's harder for women to orgasm than men. Now, is this, is this really the case? In partnered sex or on their own? Well, I guess both. Right. Um, I've had some statistics of world global surveys done and uh, when from insertion of penis into vagina, it's about five and a half minutes for men to ejaculate. Mm -hmm. Women need about 17 minutes on average of stimulation during partnered sex. So the research then on time to orgasm when masturbating, men, four minutes, women, four minutes. Mm. That made me upset. <laughs> it really did, because I was like, wait, why is this happening? And I think it's because women and men don't understand how women's bodies work and how they arouse, and then we get blamed for just being too darn pernickety. And we're not teaching people or learning what works for us. So if we follow the porn script, you basically, in six months into a relationship, women are going to get pretty bored with that equation. Melissa, that's kind of rubbish for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, I think what you said about porn scripts, I think the sexual script is what girls grow up with, and boys, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and young adolescent girls and boys already have yep. kind of almost hardwired into their brains that this is what a sexual script is, this is how it plays out. And I think the ubiquity of porn now is is, is possibly making that even harder for, for both, both men and women. I actually feel some sympathy for young men as well. Mm. I think that they have this pressure to perform as well. So no one's benefiting from the kind of scripts that, that they're surrounded by and that they grow up with. But the mystery of women's genital apparatus, mm. uh, sexual apparatus, is, is a mystery and has been for such a long time. It's been closeted. It's been deliberately, I think, put away, mm. taken out of textbooks. And it's only really in the last 20 years that we even know what the clitoris 
is, what it looks like, the, the, the entirety of the clitoris. Yeah. It looks like the spaceship in Aliens. It does. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Hey, Nakia, um, do you agree about what, you, what you're taught about your sexuality in school and stuff? Uh, like in terms of sexual practice? Just that how much women's experience and pleasure is erased and not included, whereas we're taught about uh, wet dreams and erections at huge length. I think, you know, we don't exist within a vacuum and our bedrooms don't exist within a vacuum. And I just know for myself, you know, I once spent, a, I spent an entire year getting eyelash extensions, right? So it's this idea of making yourself pretty and making yourself um, palatable and always living up to this expectation of what do I look like? What, am I good enough? And I kind of, like, I know when I have sex, it's, you know, even if it's with someone I, I love very much, but it still takes a while to just unpick that neurosis. It's like mm. I don't walk into a space naked and never feel good enough. Whereas, you know, my partner walks around naked all the time and thinks he's like, you know, jack of all trades, you know? <laughs> so I would love to have that type of confidence of a good-looking white man. Um, <laughs> oh, God, he'll listen to this. Um, but in terms of sexual pleasure, most definitely. I remember when I first... Vo like, this is a big regret, in a way, from Kiki and Kitty, where she holds up the dildo to have sexual pleasure. That's so phallus-related. I kind mm. of wish we had used something else, right? But holding up a hand doesn't symbolise the same thing as holding up a big pink phallus, right? But that's how most women mm. masturbate. It's, it's with your hand. And I remember I brought this. Um, I took my friend. I was 18. I was finishing school in Canada. And I took her to go buy a vibrator with me. And I used this vibrator. And I thought miracles would happen. And I put it in myself and nothing happened. And I couldn't work it out. So I, I do think there is, you know, I grew up in... Um, in Western Sydney in a very, um, you know, low socioeconomic Aboriginal community where there is high pregnancy rates. And me and my sister, we're like the old maids of the community because we don't have kids. But I do wonder, you know, instead of giving out condoms at the local AMS, what if they gave away lessons on how to masturbate? Mm. Not as creepy as that came out. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if we encourage sexual exploration and, and, and having that empowerment over your sexuality necessarily, you might not be at the whims of other people to make you feel good. Yeah, mm. totally. I, I know our audience spans lots of age groups, so I want to illuminate for you um, who might not have kids at school. My Two of my daughters get sex ed every year and I always, like, devour it. And it's always so focused on males and they never talk about female sexuality, how to identify if they're enjoying sex or aroused. Like, that is just so far beyond their, ex their experience or learning. It really is still as though this area is disgusting, you know, that, that, that's how they teach it. Yeah. Melissa, if you had the power, what are three things that you would teach maybe in school, in sex ed, every young girl, maybe about orgasming? I think because of my experience writing for Dolly Doctor and so many questions were about body bits yep. and the function of those body bits. So I think the first thing I would want all girls to know is to know their bodies. Mm. Secondly, to love their bodies. And tied to both of those is, is to know and love what their bodies can and can't do. There's almost nothing taught in school about pleasure, sexual arousal, except in a very clinical, sanitised, sterile kind of way. And it's usually, well, don't do it. You know, if you feel it, you're not meant to do it. And the third thing would be this is the really hard one, and I don't think that any school syllabus or even any one mother, father can teach children this. It's got to come from a much bigger wave of change, mm. is that girls and women deserve equal 
pleasure and equal opportunities to have sexual pleasure and orgasm. And I think that that is something that we just aren't, a lot of us aren't ready for yet. And I think I'd put it to everyone, you know, would you be comfortable with your daughter coming home from school saying, we learn all about pleasure today? Because there's a lot of backlash against that. And when I've advocated for that, there is backlash. Dolly Doctor allowed, it had that, it was that safe space where you could talk about it. It was kind of pretty, it was still pretty clinical and sanitised, mm. but it did allow a little bit of that conversation. Nakia, you know about backlash. You've experienced this in your, in trying to depict women having pleasure. Yeah, so one of the, um, just going back to kicking Kitty, mm. one of the reasons why I wanted to put a woman having an orgasm, you know, part of that was I wanted to have an Aboriginal woman who wasn't a sexual victim mm. and they'd never seen, I think it was the first time there's ever been an Aboriginal woman masturbate on screen, but um, claim to fame. <laughs> um, but in the first season, I think there's a character who uses her Aboriginality to get everything she wants and part of that is she tells her boyfriend he has to go down on her because it's NAIDOC week. Um, <laughs> And so we did it and we got a lot of complaints, you know, people saying that that's rape, that's not fair, you know, like what if we did that to like a woman? It's like, well, we do do that to women. Um, and the second time was um, just, you know, two people trying to figure out sexual positions that were politically correct. And, <laughs> and we had had sex on the show before, you know, and... Um, and again, it, it, it caused a lot of backlash. It had a lot of support, but, you know, it had a lot of backlash. And I think it's because so often, you know, seeing people, especially women, take control of their sexuality within our um, media representations and our stories and our narrative, it's just so incredibly uncommon. Mm -hmm. You just don't... To the point where the fragility of, I think you know, our sexual, our gender roles, you know, and the fragility of masculinity, it starts to get threatened because here we have an articulation of something that doesn't necessarily cater to that power and that maybe says something about the politics and gender inequality within our society. Um, it's weird territory to explore publicly. It's so hard to advocate for yourself when you've grown up your whole life being told that your, your job is to give men pleasure. You know, yes, we do need to start to take our own responsibility and start to advocate for ourselves. However, there's a lot of forces working against us. I agree. Women are taught to be sexual or to be sexy and men are supposed to be sexual. So it's an equation. And women who are self-empowered and women who are wanting sex are a bit scary mm. to other women, threatening, and to men. They're like, oh, no, we're supposed to be running the show. Yeah. And I really think that um, us starting to understand our own bodies and advocate for them is the best way forward. You know? We get shamed, don't, don't we, if we appear horny? We, we certainly do. A friend of mine got a job doing um, education in primary schools and she got given nine pictures of penises to show the kids and no vulvas. They said it's too explicit. Mm. I'm like, what is so explicit about female genitals? They're all on the inside anyway, mostly. All right, so I know you've got a really cool thing uh, called the three-minute game, Tanya. Can you ah. share it with us? I think we're all going to use it as homework, maybe. As homework, yes. For when we have difficulty talking to our partner about what we want, and I give couples this homework quite a lot, which is to take it in turns asking for the type of touch that you'd like to receive for three minutes. 
right? So three minutes is not long enough to get bored giving it. And you're going to take it in turn, so your partner gets to ask as well. So wait, do you talk constantly for three minutes? No, <laughs> if you ask for that. <laughs> touch, touch, t- asking for the type of touch. So it might be, can you stroke my hair for three minutes? Or could you kiss me for three minutes? Oh, I see. Or could you touch my breasts? Or could you spank my bottom? Mm-hmm. I've never. And if somebody asks you to do something that you don't want to do, it's like, thank you for that, sweetie. Is there anything else you'd like me to do? Mm-hmm. You don't have to go, oh, yuck, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Right? So we're having healthy conversations about pleasure. And women are horribly bad at asking for what they want. I had a friend who was, um, was married for 25 years and didn't have the courage to tell her husband that she didn't like the way he kissed. Mm-hmm. Right? She, I didn't want to make him feel bad. And I was like, right, now he wants to leave you. Maybe a minute of feeling awkward and talking about what might have felt nice and what you might have liked for sex rather than avoiding it for 25 years would have been smart. I've got an exact same story as that. One of my good friends said just like a week ago that she would have a lot more sex with her husband if he didn't want so much open mouth kissing. He's really into it. She's not, grosses her out. So she avoids the whole thing just to get out of the kissing bit. Yeah, kissing's so contentious with people. Yeah, there's men and women who want more of it, less of it, this, that, drier of it, wetter of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good conversation to have, you know, and and I teach people about kissing. It's like a conversation, you know. Are you going to just jump all over somebody that you've just met or are you going to go, hi, hi, you know, how are you, how are you? Like... You can be introducing your lips slowly. You can be breathing. You can be like, it's right. anticipation is very sexy. Mm. Slowing down is really, really sexy. If you think you're going slow, go slower again. And it's so hot. I've heard about sending texts and stuff in through the day to kind of get the pot, yeah. as you say, boiling yeah, on a simmer. simmer. So if you're on a simmer, it's easier to get to the boil. And this mm. is what I teach couples. It's like... Six-second kisses, hello and goodbye. You can achieve a lot in six seconds. And again, you don't have to play tonsil hockey. You could just mm-hmm. kind of grab their bottom or kiss all the way up to their ear and back down again. Nibble, suggest. And people who do this homework are like, oh, my God, our sex life just went gazoom. Kidding. Because they're connecting and they're feeling valued, they're feeling loved, and it's not all about the fast track to the end. Okay, so I'm going to go to audience questions now. Um... To you, Nakia, how would Kitty try to close the orgasm gap? Um, I think Kitty would probably, like, I remember the first time I had a penetrative orgasm, I can't even say it, and I, like, text all my friends, because I was, like, well, like, my close friends, not my social <laughs> <laughs> network. A lot of WhatsApp, sort of. You know, so I was, like, hey, getting old is great. I put it down to age, but um, number one, she should be... Yeah, writing down every note you just said. Um, but, you know, being able to articulate in the, in the, in the bedroom what you, what you need and want. But also, you know, um, having those conversations with your friends. I think mm-hmm. there's still a lot to... And, 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 you know, maybe talking to, you know, younger women's mm-hmm. kitties and getting them to embrace yep. it. Yeah. Embrace their sexuality. Embrace their sexuality. Have that conversation. Yeah. Talking about pleasure. You yeah. know, it is okay. Not, don't slut shame. Don't, you know, it's... Yeah. It comes down a lot to that, I think, as well. Oh, it totally yeah. does. I was trying to teach my three-year-old about what her parts were and she asked to what her clitoris was. So I said, that's your clitoris. She said, I'm going to name it Nicholas the Clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> And then I know I really had that moment, like, do I let her take that to kindy and tell all the other kids <laughs> like you to meet Nicholas? I don't know. Um, another, this is from our, an audience member. How do you teach a man where the clitoris is? All of my attempts have failed. 
Get your hands, take his hands, place where it is, say what feels good. Things like saying the clitoris responds well to friction um, works. Um, mm -hmm. Get him to draw the alphabet with his tongue over it and work out which letters you like the most. Tanya, what if he doesn't know the alphabet? <laughs> <laughs> you might need to trade up. <laughs> I have never had an orgasm. Is it biological or mental? I would say mental. It can be biological, but it's much rarer. Usually people, and we were talking about this behind the stage, saying that often people are up in their heads mm. when they're having oral sex, and a lot of women don't feel very comfortable having someone's head right there in their personal bits because all of their life they've been taught that we don't look good, smell good, taste good, bleh. Right? So we get bad press about our genitals. We don't be like, look at this beautiful flower and you can make me feel good and you can feel good while you're doing it. We feel like apologising. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't shave, I didn't wax, I don't smell good. Oh, you've been down there for ages, I should send you a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're trying to hurry ourselves up. Hurry up, we've got to hurry up and have an orgasm. Ah! Now, are any of those thoughts sexy? No. If you're sort of like, oh, my God, I love that thing you do with your tongue, that is more likely to tip you over, right? So I think the pressure that we put on ourselves. And the other thing is, is you don't need to be outcome-focused when you're having sex. How about just shooting for some pleasure first rather than the number of orgasms? You know, I read some research that, you know, men feel more masculine when they can give their partners orgasms. Well, hooray. But what about <laughs> taking the pressure off us? What you said about our discussion earlier about oral sex, one of the interesting things about the Australian study I referred to with over 20,000 people who participated in the survey was they did an analysis that looked at the sorts of sexual practices in an encounter that were more likely to lead to a female orgasm. And the highest frequency was if the woman had only received manual genital stimulation or oral sex from her partner. That, that was the most likely combination of practices. So manual means with hands? With your hand, mm, yep. yeah. Um, all the other practices were a combination of vaginal penetration and some of the other things. But number one, most likely cause of an orgasm for a woman was if, if it didn't involve actually penetrative intercourse. Yeah. And yet paradoxically, in other surveys that have looked at how comfortable women feel with their male partners giving them oral sex, it's really quite low. They don't want that. And in fact, yeah. a common Dolly Doctor question was about, oh, I don't want him to go down there. I don't want him to, you know, to see me, to smell me. So there's this kind of real... It's a really difficult territory, you know, there's this real paradox of we should be ashamed, we smell bad, we look bad, and yet most women report that oral sex is a really strong way, predictor yeah. of orgasm. Yeah. So, again, the ratio of blowjobs to going down on, it's, un, it's unequal. I've, I've had this theory for a few years, so stop me if any time you think it's uh, rank. What about if all the single women who are older, like, you know, they've divorced or whatever, they're going through that phase, hook up with younger guys who need to be taught and totally Mrs Robinson the shit out of it? There's a big thing. Yeah. That's a thing. You know how you... It could be, like, run, like, a government department. So, you know... <laughs> you know how you have, like, either you work for the doll... <laughs> There's that movie, The Lobster, where all the single people have to find a partner before they can turn into an animal. Maybe, like, all the men have to, you know, in order to... I don't know. 
I don't know what the consequences are. We'll have to work this out. <laughs> but they have to have training. Yes. And have to have meetings, you know. And yeah. Prove that they're things. doing it. Know how they work. A little bit of anatomy. Because yeah. you would have seen this, Tanya, women sort of reach this point where they don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. And th- there's a big market of young men wanting to um, date older women. Yeah, definitely. Where are their phone numbers? <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a few more audience questions while we've got time. Um, this is some feedback, actually. Just wanted to say, in school, I learned all about male pleasure and orgasms, wet dreams, and nothing about female pleasure, consent. Mm. The worst part, I went to an all-girls school. Oh. Question, how do we teach our sons to give women and girls pleasure? What, what age do you think is appropriate? I think it's... It's something that's intuitive. You respond when your children ask those questions. The formal part of it is is very structured and I think pretty good on paper, the, yeah. the curriculum around, you know, relationships, consent, communication, knowing your own body. I think all that's pretty well in place. It's just how it's delivered in the classroom, which is really difficult. And I think parents can and should be, you know, talking to um, their children about, naming the body parts, what they do, and, and it, it becomes natural um, as they get towards, you know, puberty and adolescence that you can start to then have those conversations about... Really, it's about consent and about equality. I think that's more important than, um, you know, whether you talk about pleasure and masturbation and clitorises and orgasms at this point in time or that point in time. It's actually about respect and equality yeah. and, and whatever. Fun for both. Yeah. Yeah, I think patriarchy plays out in the bedroom quite a lot. Yeah. I have never had an orgasm through penetration. How many women are in this boat? From somebody in this room who shared? About 70%. Yep. The great majority. Is it just not going to happen? Uh, With that person? It, d- it depends how they're wired. So you can, you can really explore. You've really got to get to know the inside of your genitals. Right, so you, good ideas to start with hands and go looking for G-spot. G-spot responds to pressure, not friction so much, so more yeah. of the pushing mm. than this on the outside for the... Um, tease Audrey. On the outside <laughs> here, right, for friction. Can you, you haven't actually fingered Audrey yet. <laughs> you, the clitoral system, because it's on the inside, you, we only see this in textbooks, the little nub of it, but you've got... If you can see my ring, it's got um, the pictures of the bulbs. These are on the inside, so you can actually reach them by pushing hard where your outer lips join the body. So using the pad of your thumb, and you can teach this to everyone who's going to play with your genitals, pushing hard with the outer pad of your thumbs, or even hand like this. If you want to do some warming up stuff, because most people don't like their clitoris being attended to like a button straight away like this. It doesn't really... (laughs) Don't press anything. But it gets the Apple TV going. (laughs) Right, so start outwards. Start at the thighs, start at the body and work in. Again, slowing down. So if you're going to caress genitals, put your hand over slowly and like this, and then start to spread your fingers because they connect with things and like, ooh, but just tease that. Don't be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> you're going to introduce, like the kissing, you're going to introduce yourself slowly and explore and you're going to hint and tease until you make Audrey like going, touch me, touch me, touch me, touch me, touch me, right? You want to tease. Right? And, and we can teach our partners to do that. Start slow, no, even slower, or slower again. Oh, gosh, that's great if you went even slower. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, Now, listen, next time you're with your mates catching up and everyone's glossing over the things that make them unhappy, the things they don't understand, the things that could really stand some scrutinising, please remember to say, ladies, we need to talk. (laughs) Now, who's got some of that orgasm cake? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for coming.
That discussion was recorded earlier this year at the Sydney Opera House. I did have this brilliant idea for the episode that everyone who turned up to the live recording would get, as a token of our thanks, a souvenir free orgasm at the end of the event. Weirdly, we couldn't quite make it happen, but God, we had fun. My guests were writer and actor Nakia Louie, sexologist Tanya Keynes, and Dr. Melissa Kang, whom you might know better as Dolly Doctor. I'm Yumi Steins, host of Ladies We Need to Talk. And remember, ladies, women deserve pleasure just as much as men do.